We are in our series on the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, you could say like serve it up. You could say some assembly required. I like uh, some assembly required. I didn't come up with that. I think Pastor Mark came up with that. And um, he didn't really come up with it. He read a box, you know, when you find out like, here, you got this for your kids. It's Christmas time, and they're so excited. They got this gift that they've always wanted. And uh, they're like, I want to play with it. I want to play with it. Put it together. You're like, okay, wait. Some assembly required. No problem. I can figure this out. I don't even need the instructions. <laughs> and uh, although I, I personally like instructions, uh, most men don't. And so I've learned in some things to not use the instructions but uh, it tends to go a little faster if it's really complicated. If you have the instructions, you follow the instructions. So uh, for us in the body of Christ as a Christian, there is some uh, assembly is necessary. Some assembly is required. Uh, really, the denomination Assemblies of God probably was a pretty good name for a group of churches because you talk about the assembly. When Paul talks about uh, the ecclesia in the New Testament, we learn that the ecclesia are the called out ones, uh, the assembly you could call it. So somebody said, I'm going to church. Well, you're really not. You are the church. You're really not going to the church. You are the church. You carry the church around with you. But we are those that assemble together. And when we assemble together, uh, we actually can be what we're made to be. And that's where you look at the, the example that Pastor Mark gave, which is that you're putting these items together and really without all of the parts in their right place, that toy that you have for your kids or that maybe a lot, you can buy a desk now and it has to be assembled. That desk isn't going to stand up straight or maybe like it'll be up straight. I hope somebody put a desk together one time. I don't recall who it was, but uh, they didn't want to use the instructions. It was not a woman. It was a man. And so <laughs> they finished with extra parts and they have these extra parts and they're like, huh, uh, it doesn't matter. It's together. Well, uh, then not too long after that, like the desk is like, a little loose and wobbly, and if you start to put weight on it, it's not working correct. Well, the body of Christ is much similar because if we don't have every part functioning in their area, it may look right, it may seem right, but you're kind of like, why is, this, why is this part just sitting over here doing nothing? And um, I guess it's not really needed. And then you find out when the pressure comes, when the weight comes, uh, that the whole rest of the body starts to feel that pressure and starts to crack and starts to crumble because uh, it's not all about just me or just you or just you or just you or you. It's about all of us letting Christ flow through us and live in us. And um, we are the body of Christ. So let's uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but, oh, I wrote it twice, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We're going to look primarily today at 1 Corinthians, and uh, we'll start with chapter 12. But really, um, I love uh, 1 Corinthians. And if you look, well, you could go all the way. Actually, we're not going to read the whole thing. But if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, one of the best ways to really grow in your faith is to uh, read things in context. So Paul 
Um, with verse 1 through verse 9, he's really you know, given an opening greeting, which there's a lot there uh, that we're not going to get into right now. But then he kind of gets to his main point, and he says, verse 10, now I beseech you, brothers. In other words, now listen, I'm, I'm very serious about this. I want you to uh, pay attention and understand by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Okay, so he kind of sets like the whole tone for this letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, this whole letter that he's writing. So you can go page after page after page, even you go to chapter 2, I'll just do a few highlights. Um, he says, uh, one of my favorite passages, and I, brother, when I came to you, didn't come with excellency of speech or with wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's even saying, and if you knew, if you know anything about Paul, you know that he was like one of the most studied, learned men of his time. And then Christ came and saved him out of the bondage of just being a religious man and made him a believer. Uh, allowed him to see the truth so that he could receive Christ and then be full of the Holy Ghost. And he said, listen, I determined I'm not going to know anything among you. So even myself, I'm not going to look and I'm not going to approach you and I'm not going to approach ministering for Jesus like I am somebody and I know something without Christ. He's the one that said, I am crucified with Christ. It's not I that live any longer, but Christ that lives in me. So, and you remember he also said later on, all of that knowledge, all of that wisdom that I gained, I count it as dung, poop. I count it as nothingness compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, listen, there, there's divisions among you. There shouldn't be divisions because, you know, that's not going to work. And I'll, I'll skip a little bit ahead, paraphrase a little bit ahead, because he gets over here into chapter uh, 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. And he's talking about what? He's talking about the body of Christ and how the body is to fit and function and flow together. So if you, if you want to do a study on unity or a study on division, you could actually do a study on uh, 1 Corinthians because there is a whole lot that the Apostle Paul says about it. So he's even saying in chapter 2 for himself, here's how I'm going to keep it. So I'm not uh, trying to be my own thing. Because remember he said, some of you say, I'm of Paul. But other people say, well, I'm of Apollos. Like, I'm, I'm, like a, I'm with the Hagen camp. I'm with the Copeland camp. I'm with the Baptist camp. I'm with the Presbyterian camp. And he's saying, you know what, really, uh, you shouldn't be so concerned with those camps. In fact, I'm really happy that I didn't baptize any of you because you're going to be like, you know, saying I'm Christ. Like, the, you're, you're part of this. Um, so it's good to be with your own company. Okay, but it's bad to be exclusive and say, like, we're the only ones that have it going on. We're the only ones that are doing anything for God, because that's really not the truth. And, um, you know, my spiritual father, um, uh, who really planted so much into me, uh, Dad Hagen, uh, he said so many times, he said, we could really learn something from other people if we will. He said, uh, if you ever get to the point where you feel like you and the group that you're with have the corner of revelation on everything, you're missing it. Uh, because the body of Christ is really to work together. And um, we may see some things that other people don't see, but I guarantee you other people see some things that we don't see. And the problem is when we start to say, like, I've got the wisdom, I've got the knowledge, we've got the wisdom, we've got the knowledge, uh, you close yourself down from other people, uh, other believers, 
uh, that's when you start to miss it. And that's why I love in chapter two where Paul said, listen, I'm not coming with all this excellency of wisdom. I'm coming preaching you in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should stand in the wisdom of God. Not in the wisdom of men, in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. And so um, he gives us kind of like a, a formula for our own lives, how to keep ourselves in unity and how to keep ourselves, uh, uh, you know, you because we, we can say like all the right words, you know, like it's not me, it's Christ that's living in me. But uh, the devil wants to try to say like, you're the only one. Like Elijah, remember Elijah? We even talked about Elijah last week. But Elijah got to the point where he's like, Lord, nobody else is serving you. It's only me. I'm the only one. And the Lord said, you're a little ignorant because there's like thousands that I have reserved that have not bowed their knee. You're thinking everybody. You're thinking you're the only one. You're not the only one. Um, And so we want to always keep the focus on the truth. Not only for the people that we're ministering to, but if you want to be an effective minister, if I want to be an effective minister, I have to allow the understanding to be tangible in my mind and in my life that the only reason that I even have breath to speak is because God is sustaining me. And um, Paul said in this chapter again, um, he said, what do you have that you have not received? Not this chapter, but this book. None of us. Uh, somebody said, well, I've got this, I've got that, you know, and why are you judging other people? And um, he said, you have nothing. I have nothing that I have not received. And so everything that we have, uh, really every good thing that we have, we have received because of the goodness of God, because of the grace of God, because, you know, while we were all sinners, Christ died for us, and um, uh, God gave to each of us the measure of faith. So he goes on in chapter three and says, you know, I really wanted to speak to you like spiritually mature people, but I couldn't speak to you as spiritually mature. I had to speak to you as babes. I had to like back up and say, whoa, 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 hold on. Why did he say that? And that's where he says, because there was division and strife among you because you're saying I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, you know, uh, kind of, um, you know, almost magnifying the people that ministered too much. You know, and we give honor uh, to those that have uh, been fathers to us or mothers to us in the Lord. Uh, but, you know, they're not Jesus and they're just a vessel. And uh, you can look at some denominations where they have uh, so deified some of the saints that have gone before us that uh, you can go to um, a place in Rome and you can find that there's a statue in like the toes of. This person are rubbed off of St. Peter. And um, because uh, people are rubbing them because they feel like they're going to get a touch from God by rubbing this statue. I guarantee Peter is not thrilled about that. It's like, I want my toes. toes. (laughs) It's hard to walk if you stub your toe. So he said in chapter 4, let us account ministers of God for your sake. So let's uh, fast forward uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, verse 1. That just means things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, Paul says, and I don't want you to be ignorant. You need to know this stuff. You can't just go through life and say like, oh, 
that was some strange feeling. What was that? Is the spirit of feeling? And whatever, you know, he, no, he's a person. And so he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of how he works and what happens when he shows up and what happens when um, people yield to him. So this is what I'm going to tell you about. And then, of course, we go down to verse 7, the manifestation of the spirits given to every man to profit with all. In other words, it's not, uh, the, God's not giving you a manifestation of the spirit really to just benefit you, but it's to benefit all of us, to benefit the body of Christ. That's why when we pray that the gifts of the Spirit being greater demonstration, greater tangibility, greater manifestation than what they have been, and we used to pray this uh, uh, meeting after meeting after meeting with Dad Hagen. We, we never just prayed like we pray that in Rama Bible Church that the gifts of the Spirit would be in greater manifestation than what they have been. We pray that in the body of Christ that the gifts of the Spirit would be in greater demonstration, greater manifestation, because we need the whole body. You can look at our area, Washington, D.C., and I think we need a lot of good Holy Ghost Spirit-filled word churches to reach uh, everybody that's in this area. And um, so we believe the Lord is raising up more churches and more ministries. Um, so you talk about, he talks about uh, manifestations of the Spirit in you know, what we call the nine gifts of the Spirit. And then verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many uh, are one body, so also is Christ. So talking about your physical body, how you have all, all of these parts. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, we've been all made to drink into one spirit. Remember, he's talking about like unity the whole time. So he's saying like, you don't have a corner on the Holy Spirit. I don't have a corner on the Holy Spirit. Brother Hagen doesn't have a corner on the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus doesn't even have a corner on the Holy Spirit. That he gave us the same spirit that he had. He gave us of his spirit. He, he was, you know, God is a just God. And Jesus is not going to say, go do the works that I do and greater works than these. But I'm not going to give you the equipment that I used to do those works. Because Jesus came and uh, we learn in Colossians that he laid aside his power and his glory that came from God. And did what he did as a man. And then the Holy Spirit, of course, in the River Jordan descended upon him in the form as a dove, and he was anointed of the Spirit of God. And you didn't find, like, he didn't heal little birds, he didn't heal little squirrels, um, certainly not raccoons or snakes, um, <laughs> before he was uh, anointed of the Spirit of God. You know, so the religious picture of Jesus is, oh, it must have been awesome to be his parents because, like, you know, you'd like squash a spider and he'd like heal it and raise it up. Uh, Jesus didn't do any of that. Um, uh, definitely not before he was um, filled with, or excuse me, baptized in the spirit. We had the Holy Spirit upon him. <clears throat> My son, Joel, uh, he's a, he, he loves every little bug. And so if we find a spider in the house and we kill the spider, he will cry and cry. So we have to sneakily kill the spiders or the bugs. Um, I thought he was over it the other day. Apparently, he's not. <laughs> For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free. We've been all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not the body, it is, therefore, is it therefore not the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now has God set members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. I, I think I talked about that in the, in the offering time. Sometimes we look and say, like, Lord, I think you should set me here, or you should 
put me here. And uh, not always as we think is the way he thinks. His thoughts are higher than ours. He knows what we need more than we know what we need. And he, of course, knows the future. If there were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say into the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I'll stop here for just a second and say this. When I uh, first saw Kenneth Hagen, it was in August of 1998. He came to a church in Augusta, Georgia that I was sneaking off to. And, um, you know, you probably have heard the story of the first night. And uh, I had gotten spirit-filled about eight months before that and started to fellowship at this other church because they talked about healing, they talked about prosperity, and I had never heard this stuff before. In fact, in some cases, I thought like, well, the Lord wants to have sickness to teach you because those were the group I was around. Well, I started realizing uh, that's not in the Bible, and the Bible actually says the opposite. And so I'm learning this, and so then you're just like so stirred up, and you, you're, you're excited about this. So he, you know, uh, physical manifestations happened in that meeting, and it confused my head, uh, not my heart really, but my head. And so I went and talked to the Lord, and the Lord said, you know, go back to the next morning if you still have trouble, then I'll talk to you about it. And when I went back the next morning, uh, Dad Hagen taught on prayer and prayed, and I had never experienced uh, an atmosphere like that in my life. And... Um, saw scriptures and couldn't believe that I was seeing what I was seeing. And uh, so uh, I had already, I was in the denominational church, and I had actually um, already preached that year. In April of that year, I preached uh, in that denomination. You preached a licensing sermon, and then later on you'd be ordained. And so I had uh, preached the licensing sermon, but, it, but I hadn't been ordained. And... Um, so I was um, on fire for God, and I had decided I'm going to follow uh, the Lord. I had uh, surrendered to him. I felt the call to ministry and um, was excited, and I was actually looking at a denominational seminary in Kansas City. I was going to go there and um, had this all figured out, <clears throat> and then this turning point in my life happened. And um, so... Uh, just tremendous meetings, uh, people being healed. Uh, Dad Hagen at that time was having what, what he called Holy Ghost meetings, and uh, you'd have all kind of manifestations of the Spirit and um, uh, just different things that it's not necessary to go into for what we're teaching on. But I looked, and I thought, man, that would be amazing to be part of his traveling team. Like, that would just be absolutely phenomenal. And uh, But, you know... Uh, that was like beyond anything I could make happen or do anything or whatever. So I just was following the Lord. And so uh, three months after that, I went to visit Rama, And then I moved two months after that uh, to go to school. And um, so in that period of time, they, had, uh, they wanted to hire a uh, keyboardist to travel on the road because they really wanted... Some people, anyhow, it's another whole story, but they needed someone. So they had these openings for uh, somebody to play the keyboard, and I played the piano in my church growing up, and I played the organ as well. Um, and it was a little church, and so it wasn't like I was phenomenal or anything, but so I'm like, okay, I'm going to like, uh, there's an opening. You know, I don't know how long that's going to be there, but I'm going to like learn and get better and get good enough to do all this. Well, <clears throat> I was pretty busy, and I, I, I practiced, but I wasn't able to, uh, improve enough that I thought, well, you should apply. And so I didn't. And I thought, man, that's so kind of 
sad because there's an opportunity and there's not only an opportunity and at Rama it was even to go on staff it was a privilege and an honor and like you you know um you really had to uh have the Lord involved to be a part of what's going on well um to make a long story short I went on staff and when I went on staff uh it was doing the video camera and those type of things which I had never done before and the Lord led me to start volunteering and doing that. So I'm serving, and as I'm serving, uh, they said, hey, we'd like you to come on staff because they had seen me serving. And so um, I went on staff, and the Lord used that to put me on the road with Brother Hagen because what I did is I ran the the TV and did all that type of stuff. So uh, through my serving and my faithfulness, then a door was open to go on uh, the ministry staff, and then uh, actually two weeks after my first day, I was on the road with Dad Hagen. And then a couple months went by, and then I was full-time uh, about three months, three or four months after I went on staff. So just by me being faithful and serving where the Lord led me and my part, I actually got a dream that was in my heart that even to my head was like impossible. But because I was faithful doing something that I maybe wouldn't have thought was uh, I don't know, glorious is the wrong word, but you know, like, I'm just doing all that. And I think I've talked about it the last two weeks when I started in that job. Before I was traveling with Brother Hagen, I was like labeling VHS tapes. And I learned how to put that tape, that label on straight and good and perfect. And I learned what it was like if those labels didn't have the right stickiness on them. So I'd know like this is a bad batch of labels and, you know, lots of details about labels. Uh, but I was faithful in serving And where I thought maybe the Lord would have me is not where the Lord put me. But because of where the Lord put me, not only did I uh, get to travel with um, Dad Hagen, but then even after he went on because of serving in in that area of the ministry, um, I I still to this day actually help them restore old videos of Kenneth Hagen that they have in this, this big vault and stuff like that that nobody has access to. And so it amazes me when I look back at what I thought was a menial task and something like, why did the Lord put me here? That he opened door after door after door and used that to put in me things that I need today and things that I'll need tomorrow and next month and next year and uh, throughout my life. And um, it always pays to, to serve. And so when we look at serving, you know, I was on staff as associate pastor at a church in Michigan for about... Uh, nine years, I guess it was. And, um, you know, I thought, well, they brought me on staff because, you know, I have great experience and know the Lord and love the Lord and I'm on fire for God. And sure, maybe that was a part of it, but they really brought me on staff to work <laughs> and to serve. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't really want me spending all day in my office praying. And, uh, or counseling with people all day, even though, I, you know, I did counseling and I did pray and I preached. But uh, that was really uh, the smallest part of what they had uh, me doing. And actually, Jeremy can attest to it. We, we kind of got, I don't know, we made some of the other pastors not so thrilled because we called ourselves the working pastors. Because <laughs> we did technical things and we ministered. And so... Um, it was kind of our fun teasing thing with, uh, with some of the other associate pastors. There were like 26 associate pastors there. So um, you're one of many. But 
uh, you know, one of the biggest things I learned serving on staff there was that I was not really there for my talents and abilities. I was there simply to serve. And if you're going to be uh, successful in serving in the body of Christ, if you approach whatever you're asked to do or whatever comes into your heart to do as I'm serving and I'm serving to the Lord, even if this is labeling VHS tapes, then I'm going to do the best job I can possibly do. I'm going to let the Lord work through me. And, um, you know, I remember I was kind of, uh, I don't remember what the situation was, but there was something happening at the ministry down there that wasn't, wasn't what I considered God's best. And um, I remember exactly where I was walking. I was walking in the south hall of the, the big building they have there. And the Lord said to me, uh, just a, one sentence, he said, came up in my heart, how much difference could one person make? And it, I stopped. I was walking and I stopped in my tracks. And uh, I was always a fast walker, so that's significant if I stopped. And I was kind of like, whoa. Yeah. How much difference could one person make? And so the Lord just kind of tweaked me a little bit there. And I said, okay, I'm going to be that person that makes more difference than anybody else. Not out of competitive rivalry, but in other words, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm not, it's not up to me that this person is acting a fool. Yeah. It's up to me that I'm not acting a fool. Yeah. And that I'm doing everything I can. And you can see how many moves of God are actually spurred by one person yielding to God. When the whole crowd is doing something else, when the whole crowd is just complaining and going a different direction, it just takes one person to yield to God and say, you know what? I'm going to let the Lord speak through me. I'm going to let the Lord use me. I'm not in this for myself. I'm not in this to look good. I'm not in this to have people say, wow, you know a lot of stuff or, you know, you're the one that prayed this move of God in. I'm here just to let God use my vessel. I'm here to let, you know, your body, uh, what you have, your voice, your mind, your resources. I'm here to just give everything I have to the Lord. And so, you know, we have talked uh, a couple times in this series really about um, our unity with Christ. And um, if we're going to be unified with Christ, we're going to have to be unified with his body. And every person that's a believer is part of the body of Christ. And each one of us has um, a role to fulfill and a purpose from God to fulfill. Now, I believe most people are going to fulfill their purposes through the local church. Why? Well, Jesus, when he ascended on high, so it's like the last thing he did. He, he came, he lived, he healed, he showed the will of God, the plan of God, showed us what God is like, and then he went to heaven with his own blood, and he gave his own blood as a sacrifice for your sins, for my sins, for your life, for my life. He took stripes on his back for your healing and my healing. He uh, became a curse for your uh, wealth and my wealth. In other words, he took away your poverty, he took away your sickness, and he certainly took away your spiritual death, your separation from God. And he did it for you and he did it for me. And after he did that, he came back and, and uh, um, Luke tells us in the book of Acts that he preached about the kingdom of God for 40 days. So for 40 days, he's coming and saying, you know, one way, I think one of the best ways to think of the kingdom of God is simply Christ coming to live inside of man. Yeah. 
Okay, Christ living inside of you, the kingdom of God. So now we're in a different system. And so he is for 40 days now saying, here's the new system. Because everything else, most of the ministry of Jesus that we see was actually under the old covenant to fulfill the old covenant and the Old Testament. And so really, that's uh, great examples for us to look at. But we want to look at how you're supposed to live your Christian life. Um, you want to look at the epistles. Uh, those are the letters that are written to the church. And Jesus does talk uh, to the church a little bit in, in uh, John and, and different things like that. But primarily, you're going to look at the epistles, which is where Jesus appeared to Paul and gave him revelation knowledge and understanding. And then Paul wrote it all down. And he wrote more books in the New Testament than any other uh, single author, author. But we learn that Jesus, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to mankind. So like his last thing that he did is he's like, okay... Here's my church. We have birthed the church. I'm the firstborn of a new generation. I'm the first of this bunch. And now I'm giving you things that you're going to need. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. uh, For the edifying of his body. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. And the full knowledge of the Son of God. To the fullness of Jesus Christ. So really for Jesus to be in his fullness in the earth today. We have to be in unity. And we have to... Uh, be in our place. Because really, if I'm in your place, uh, I'm out of place. And um, you look at the, uh, you know, uh, Brother Hagin would talk so many times about the healing revival from uh, 1947 to 1958. Just amazing things happened. But a couple of things actually caused that uh, revival to kind of fall off. But one of the things was these guys that were mightily used of God in healing, they felt like, okay, well, now uh, this other person's teaching, so I'm going to be a teacher. Or this other person's, maybe they're a teacher, this other person's a preacher, and they got out of their gifting, and really their ministry was, was cut short because they really wanted to be a different part in the body. And um, it's, um, it's real easy to be labeling tapes and want to be the person that's on the platform preaching. Right? But really, you're like, you're supposed to be labeling the tapes. And maybe if you're supposed to preach later, like in my case, the labeling tapes was the preparation that I needed to preach. Yeah. You know, and even, even I can tell you it's just a, 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 a part of, natural part of what the Lord had me do that really helped me was there, there was like, uh, when I went to school, there were about, uh, I don't know, 3,800 people, I think, would attend the church service. And uh, about 6,000 would attend the big seminars. And so I ran a handheld camera when I first started out and during the services. And so I'd be up on the stage. And uh, it's a big stage. It's like, I don't know, I think it's 100 and some feet wide by like 70 feet deep or something. Uh, and it's four feet high. And so at that time, they had all the ministers would, I'm glad those days are gone, but all the ministers would sit on the stage. And so I would run the camera right next to the ministers. And you know, you're a new student and you've been, or I I had just graduated, but um, even when I started before I was on staff, I was a student. And so you're you're there with all these people and you know, you don't want to make a mistake or or mess up. And then you're on the platform. And so I'm on the platform. Well, um, I would freeze up in front of people. When I was in um, first grade, I think it was first grade, I went to Cleveland Elementary School and we had a kid's play for Christmas. I don't even remember what my part was. All I remember was I got up on that stage and it was probably like 600 people, so maybe 200 more than what fits in here. I got up on the stage, it was my line, and I froze. 
I remember it to this day. I remember the bright lights, and I'm there, and I could hear my teacher saying whatever the line was, and I just remember, like, I was froze like this. I could not move. And um, so anyhow, being on the stage at Raymond with the camera, and, you know, I was so nervous just to stand there. And I would, like, just be, like, stiff as a board. And then I, the Lord started dealing with me, like, you know, like, you know, people really are not looking at you, you know. And um, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I'd start to relax a little more, relax a little more, relax a little more um, to the point where I could become very relaxed. Because before I was doing that, I would never even like step foot on the stage at Rama. I was like, I'm not in front of me. Um, but through serving and through doing my part, the Lord really prepared me um, for where he has me now and where he's even had me in the past so that um, I'm able to uh, not be so focused on myself, but really focused on other people. Yeah. And... Um, so it's, it's real interesting how the Lord, how the Lord will uh, ask you to do something. You know, it reminds me of uh, Naaman being healed. And you're kind of like, you know, the servant said to him, you know, if he asked you to do something hard, you'd do it, wouldn't you? He said, well, yeah, I would because, you know, I'm the ruler. I do hard stuff. But you asked me to do something simple. And so, you know, I'm glad nobody has a job doing VHS tapes nowadays because you might feel like I'm cornering you. But so, like, for me, I guess, like, to do the VHS tapes was, like, go dip in the River Jordan, you know, in that stinky river, something that seems, like, simple. But uh, I really would rather, like, be the top technical computer expert at the ministry, you know. Uh, uh, But I had to dip in the River Jordan. And um, so the Lord will have you do things that you or I think like this makes no sense. Well, sometimes that's the very best thing that you could possibly do because you know, like, you know, I like to turn things. So you have like, when you talk about the life of faith and the walk of faith, you want to have like a good attitude and you want to be walking in the goodness of God. In fact, I was reading this morning about when they were started to get bitter and complain that, uh, you know, they really started to die in the Old Testament. And so you don't really want to let yourself get uh, on the side of bitterness and complaining and uh, on that side of things. And that's really not the side of faith. When you start to see the things as impossible, you know that your faith is starting to wane. Like you need to get in the word and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God, uh, Jesus has given to every man the measure of faith. But what happens is your faith can be in different conditions. Okay, you can actually have weak faith, strong faith, exceedingly growing faith. Um, Your faith can be in any type of condition. And um, uh, so your whole attitude, your whole outlook on life uh, really affects how much you're able to receive from God. And um, so you want to be thrilled and be happy with where the Lord has placed you and what he has you doing at the moment. Because I can tell you from personal experience that... um, uh, I'm happy to serve wherever the Lord has put me and whatever the Lord has me doing. But sometimes you can look at somebody that's a pulpit minister and think, man, if I just had that type of ministry or that position. Uh, and, but you overlook all of the responsibility and all of the comments and all of the uh, other things that go along with those uh, positions. And um, you're just looking at the, the uh, 
icing on the top. You're not looking at the stuff underneath. So, you know, there's a, there's a story that a minister in Texas used to tell, and um, uh, Dad Hagen repeated it. It's one of my favorite stories, but he, uh, he talked about these two uh, well buckets. And so, you know, the old-fashioned wells, they had like the little top on there, and you'd have a rope, and you'd have one well bucket tied on this side and another bucket tied on this side so that instead of just, when you lower this thing down, instead of just going in one bucket coming up, you've got one bucket coming up when the other one's going down so you can be more efficient at drawing out water. And um, so uh, one bucket was there, and he's going down, and he gets filled with water, and he comes back up, and they dump it out, and the other one does the opposite. So they got to talking to each other one day, and the one bucket, he's just, every time he's just like, oh, oh, oh this is great, da, 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 just happy all the time. And the other bucket's like, man, I'm doing the same thing all the time. I'm so tired of this. Why can't I go to someplace else? I just, it's just a pain. And so, you know, the guy that's complaining, he says, you know, I don't understand you to the other bucket. He's like, you are always happy. You are always uh, uh, joyful, happy, enjoying life. And, you know, you're doing the same thing I am, the same grind, the same rigmarole. You get up at this time and you go down and then you get water and then you dump it out. And, um, but you're happy. And he said, well, the other bucket said, well, I don't understand you. He said, you're doing the same thing I'm doing. You know, go down, fill up, Every day, do the same thing, keep doing the same thing. And so, uh, you know, the upset bucket said, he said, well, you know, every time I come up full, I go back down empty. How can I be happy? And the other bucket said, well, I just look at it exactly the opposite. Every time I uh, come up empty, I go down full. And so they're in the exact same experience of life, going through the exact same things. Um, and of course, it's a fictitious story, but you see that they have the identical experience, but one of them actually, their life is a treachery, and it's a pain, and it's miserable. And the other one is enjoying their life, because all because of their perspective. And so, um, you know, Paul said, actually, I'm thankful when I get to suffer for the cause of Christ. Right? We should do a series sometime on, on suffering. There's actually a lot that the Bible says about <laughs> suffering. And it's not talking about suffering sickness and disease and suffering poverty and things that are under the curse. But it's talking about suffering for the sake of Christ. Uh, but even like Jesus said in our offering message today, you know, you can give up your house. You can give up your family. Excuse me. But if you do it right, you're going to receive the same in this life. Because he, and, and multiplied actually, uh, because uh, God loves you and has good things in mind for you and good things in mind for me. So no matter where the Lord has you, no matter where the Lord has me, if we allow our attitude to be an attitude of faith and an attitude of nothing's impossible with God, and you actually start to look for the expectations. So you start to look like, man, I'm here labeling these tapes. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows what I'm doing. But I'm doing this for you, Lord, because I know that you see, and I know that you know. Then that actually gives the Lord the ability to raise you up. You know, the Bible says, actually, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you in due time. He will lift you up. And... um, uh, I 
I don't ever want to lift myself up. I want the Lord to lift me up because I know if he lifts me up, he's lifting up Christ in me. And so that uh, people are seeing Christ and being drawn to Christ because uh, I don't really have anything for you or for anybody else that I don't have from the Lord. And um, uh, the advice I would give people sometimes out of my own self would be the wrong advice, even though my my head would say like, oh yeah, that makes sense, do that. I can't really tell you. Keith Moore said, it's a real good way to say it, thousand and one things can be answered by two words, be led. In other words, if you are a Christian, you need to follow God for yourself. And if you need help, that's fine to ask people to pray for you and help you. But um, the Lord loves you, and he speaks to you, and he speaks to me. And uh, you don't follow strange voices, Jesus told us. Like, we're his sheep. We actually know the voice of God. Uh, what happens is what we talked about in our previous series is we get our minds all cluttered up with reasoning and thinking and we, we drown out the voice of the Spirit of God. But the voice of the Spirit of God is right there the whole time. He's right there saying like, you know, go ahead, go this direction, um, head this way. So, um, you know, we learn that um, we are enabled by God to actually serve. And when we serve, we connect with God in ways that uh, we can't on our own and we don't without him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ. We're not trying to be, we shouldn't be, we are the body of Christ. Uh, And we're members uh, of his flesh and of his bones. Jesus, we talked about last week, is he's limited and dependent upon his body. So if his body's not doing something, he can't do something. Your head cannot get up and walk out of this room without your body. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ, and uh, without that body, he can't do it. We talked about Elisha, and Elisha um, served Elijah, and that's how he got the anointing. Because he said, you know, Master, I pray, let a double portion of the anointing that's on you come on me. And he said, you know, you've asked a pretty hard thing, but if you see me when I go, it'll be so. Well, one of the reasons he asked a very hard thing was it's going to be hard on him. Elisha, because like, it's not always easy to uh, label tapes and to like skip your lunch and, you know, do all a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, anyhow, we don't have to get into all those details, but it's not always easy to serve on your flesh. And, um, but it's, it's so wonderful in your spirit and Jesus, even Jesus came and he took on the form of a servant. So a lot of times we want to say like, oh, I'm born again now. I'm going to serve in the kingdom of God. I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So I'm here to rule and to reign. So, uh, would you get me a glass of water? Would you go, go, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) rub my feet? Would you do this or would you do that? But really, we're not here. Jesus, our example, uh, he said the greatest among you would actually serve. The greatest among us would come and say, what can I do to help? I, I'm not even here. You know, what does a servant do? Well, if you, you think of a server, even at a restaurant, hey, would you get me a glass of water? Hey, I, I'd like this. Can you tell the, the cook that I would rather have it cooked this way than this way? They're there really to do what you ask. Um, not really what they their own desire is, their own thought. So one of, our, one of the best keys to serving and being satisfied and serving in the body of Christ is serving in the way um, that the Lord wants you to serve. So you look at Elisha, and Elisha was just there to serve. Uh, but many times we are, you know, overstudied and underserved. 
So we're studying. I got this revelation. I got that revelation. Well, I'm understanding all that, you know, but I don't really have time to go out and help with the church outreach because I'm too busy studying the Word of God. Well, <coughs> excuse me. One of the best ways that you actually allow the Spirit of God to enable you to put you where you're supposed to be is to serve and to serve with the, with the right heart. You can look at... Um, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 16, 15, um, talking about the house of Stephanus. Um, it says that they devoted themselves to the ministry of serving the saints, serving the, in the church. I love how the King James Version actually says it. It says that they addicted themselves to serving. So they actually got addicted to serving. Well, how could you get addicted to serving? Why, would you, why would, in the world would you ever get addicted to serving? Because you're talking about like, instead of like being served, uh, you're addicted to being the one that serves. You know, there's actually such fulfillment in serving that you don't get by being served. Just look at when you give someone something. Um, We were with Pastor Mark this week and um, went to a restaurant and uh, he always tips really, really well. And so this waiter, he gave him a $100 tip and the guy just started, this is like a grown man, like kind of intimidated looking man. And he just started bawling. Well, you find like it's better really to give than it is to receive. I mean, you know, even when I was talking about uh, a few months ago when I was at Winter Bible Seminar in Tulsa and the Lord led me to give those guys that, that money like $100 each, I think I gave him. And the guy had given his, what was his, chapstick or something like that? He sewed his chapstick. He had no money, no nothing. You can't tell me that that's not better than somebody giving me $100. The, the, what happens in my heart when I gave them something. And so the same principle is true when you talk about serving, that it's really better to serve than to be served because you actually get something that you don't get another way. And so the family of uh, Stephanus, it says that they had addicted themselves to serving. Well, how could they get addicted to serving? Well, you realize like the anointing and the blessing of God flows through serving. And we talked about that a little bit last week, even to the extent that I could have like some sickness attack in my body. The second I would start to serve, the thing lifted. I had no symptom, no nothing, gone. Uh, because of the anointing of God to serve. And so Elisha, he served, and he served so much that he got the same anointing doubled. The same anointing that Elijah had and doubled. So when we serve, it actually opens the door for um, the anointing of God to flow in us and through us. It's, you know, many times we want to, uh, let's see, even I would say like, we, we get so focused on if I could just meditate in the word a little more, if I could just pray a little more, I will position myself to be able to have the anointing flow more through me. Well, there's a truth there that you have to keep the word awakened and alive and stirred up inside of you. But, um, you know, uh, having been around a Bible school and worked at a Bible school for some years, you find real quick that you get a lot of people that they will spend like hours and hours and days and days and they're, they're just in the word and prayer, but they're not out doing anything. And 
you know, 10 years later, they're not out doing anything. And 15 years later, they're not out doing anything. But you can go to their house and talk to them, and they'll tell you all this stuff that people ought to do, but they just sit in their house, and they don't do. And um, the scary thing about it is, is that uh, James tells us that, like, if you're not doing the word, if I'm not doing the word, that I'm actually deceiving my own self. So it's, it's really that you want to take the word of God and you want to start serving. You want to start doing immediately so that uh, you actually uh, remove the ability for deception to cloud your vision and to cloud your eyes. Um, but, and, and the other thing really, serving helps you stay humble because God does what to the proud? Resist the proud. So I don't know if you've had someone like resist you before. Like, uh, you know, I remember a particular girl that I wanted to ask out when I was going to Bible school. She did not want to go out with me, so she was resisting, right? I mean, I wasn't like a super aggressive, but, you know, I can take a hint. <laughs> um, but, you know, you see people, uh, well, you can talk about like the, the protests that they got going on in some political stuff right now, like people resisting arrest. So they're resisting. Well, I don't want to have God resist me because I think if somebody knows how to resist, it's God. Um, but he gives grace to the humble. That means he, you know, what is grace? Grace is uh, many things, and I hesitate to ever say what is grace when you have a lot of cares people in the church, but anyhow, (laughs) grace is something that you didn't work for, that you didn't earn, that God gives you. And so when you get proud, pride is really, you know, we're kind of looking at ourselves and saying, well, look what I did. Like, you know, I served all this. I gave all this. I studied all this. I prayed all this time. And so you start to look at yourself. Well, the Lord's saying, really, I'm going to resist that. But when you come and say, Lord, I just throw myself on your goodness and your mercy. The goodness that you would just are good and that you just give me all this stuff that for me to enjoy, not because I'm somebody special other than the fact that because you love me so much that you like provided this, you made this for me, and you want me to have it. And um, when you come to God that way, he gives grace. He gives grace. And then you're really able to do things that you never could do on your own. You're able to be things that you never could be on your own. You're able to say things that you never could say on your own. And um, the Lord's able to speak through you in ways that he could not speak through you. So, um, you know, really, you learn the nature of the devil is pride. And um, that's why he fell. He got in such pride uh, that he thought he's better than God. Right? And so I'd say, like, these guys that... um, you know, Paul talked about having spiritual sons and daughters and uh, so on and so forth. And so you have like uh, Kenneth Hagin's spiritual father of me, so is Pastor Mark. And with both men, I can tell you that I know people personally that uh, are just 100% sure that they have gone beyond their revelation. They've gone beyond what they have. And that's not to say that anybody couldn't. But you know, when somebody has that kind of attitude about them, they are like, just like, even really to be focused on are you beyond somebody or not is, is division and schism and not, and not unity. Um, but they, uh, they start to be like, well, I, I don't really need to listen to them anymore because I, already, I know what they know, and so now I've gone beyond. And um, you know, uh, then you even get to some extremes where you, you have people that say, like, uh, well, I've read the whole Bible, and we are beyond the Bible now. We just follow the Spirit of God. 
Uh, but uh, the word and the spirit agree is what the word says. And uh, the Bible actually says that God watches over his word to perform it. So if you want something to happen in your life um, or the life of someone that you're praying for, you find the word on it because the word is powerful. And the word will penetrate any darkness and the word will penetrate any problem and the word will drive back any sickness and any disease and any depression and any demon. Uh, the word of God is more powerful than uh, the thought of any devil. The word of God is more powerful than any plan or any scheme that the devil would uh, come up with. Uh, he's not actually, not actually even creative. He's just a, 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 a bad forger. You know, like somebody's going to print money and uh, they like do a bad job of it. That's kind of like him. He's like, oh, look, this is this. It's not really. It's not really. And um, uh, he's just he's just a flat out liar. So uh, you could get addicted to serving because you actually experience the anointing of God when you serve. And um, I believe one of the things that the local church is supposed to be is a place where you and I can fulfill God's uh, call upon our life. We're like, I plugged in, and this is how I do it. This is how I serve. And you've actually got that support group. You've got people serving together, and um, we're able to accomplish for the Lord what he wants us to accomplish. Stand with me, if you would, and we'll pray. Love the word of God and um, the anointing of his spirit. Heavenly Father, we come... We come right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth, that you sent your word and you healed us. Father, I thank you for making us part of your body, each one of us valuable, each one of us uh, a member that you have placed us where you want us placed. And Father, I just ask for each of us that you would um, speak to each person that's listening, Father, uh, to bring clarity, to bring understanding. Father, that you'd give new vision, fresh uh, understanding and revelation. Father, we thank you that as we plug in to serve where you want us to serve, Father, that your anointing comes upon us uh, in ways that we have never experienced, Father, and that your anointing enables us to get beyond ourselves and allow you to work through us and flow through us and speak through us. Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light and brings understanding. We pray, Father, for each person uh, that's listening now, Father, that you will give each of us a spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation and intimate knowledge of you. Father, an intimate knowledge of where you've placed us and what you have for us and how you want us to serve. We thank you that you give us the ability, that you give us the tools, that you give us the relationships, that you give us the finances. Father, we thank you that we are not under the curse because Jesus set us free. We thank you, Father, that we are healed today, that we are healthy today, that we are blessed and prosperous today, that we're part of your family and part of your kingdom today, that we live in the light of your word under the anointing of your spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.